This is Susanna McMonagall, and you're listening to the 5 to 8 Shift Podcast. We are so glad that you decided to check us out. The 5 to 8 Shift Podcast exists to encourage, educate, and inspire parents throughout their own parenthood and family life adventure. We know parenting can be tough. I am not trying to sugarcoat it. But few worthwhile things in life come without some sweat and some hard work. And family life is worth every ounce of effort. We're building a community of parents to remind you that you're not alone and we are thrilled that you're here. Each month we highlight stories from our parent community and share the latest research and tips to help families thrive. If you like what you hear today, make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I believe family is one of life's greatest adventures, and I am so excited to chat with you today. I look forward to cheering you on in your own five to eight shift. It's the most important shift of the day. I am so excited to have you on the podcast. This is like a perfect alignment. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. Absolutely. All right. So why don't you start off by telling my listeners a little bit about you and your background? Yes, so my husband and I have been married for 18 years and we live in the Nashville, Tennessee area and we have four biological kids. They are 16, 13, 11, and nine months. And we are also foster parents. And so when um, my daughter, when she was born, we had just brought home a little and sweet little boy from the NICU four weeks before. So we had two newborns for eight oh months. Oh my goodness, so that for eight months? Quite, wow. Quite the adventure. Um, and then I'm the founder of MoneySavingMom.com and um, also have written a few books and I have a podcast called the crystal pain show. Okay. Awesome. Yes. Uh, and one of your books is a New York times bestseller, which, you know, I think is such an amazing accolade and I'm excited to have my first New York times bestseller on the podcast too. So that's awesome. So tell us a little bit about money saving mom before we get into your new book that's coming out. What was the, um, you know, where did that start? So my husband went to law school and um, when we were first married and we had set this audacious goal that we were going to go through law school and we we're going to stay out of debt. So okay. he starts in on this law school journey and I am at home um, working multiple kind of part-time jobs. I was working as a nanny and a mother's helper and doing some other things to be able to pay our bills and then found out that I was pregnant, which we were super excited about, but I was also got really sick in my pregnancy. So I had to quit working, came home and I was trying to figure out what on earth could I do because we wanted to stay out of debt, but we also had to pay our bills. Yeah. And so um, I started researching everything I could about making money online and fell into this thing called blogging. This was oh, in 2004, 2005, when people didn't really know what blogs were. There wasn't social media. It was a very different internet landscape, let's yeah, just it say. Yeah, it was. And so I started this blog and in addition to a lot of other things, but quickly figured out that I loved blogging and that I could make some, a little bit of income from it. So started just researching more, trying more things and found that people were really interested in how to save money. And because we were living on this beans and rice budget and I had um, grew up in a family of nine and had done a lot of grocery shopping and menu planning and cooking on a budget, had kind of brought that into our marriage. And so started talking about that on that blog and pretty soon figured out that it needed its own space because people were asking so many questions. So I started Money Saving Mom in 2007 
not having any idea that it was going to be the economy was going to tank and it was then so many of the different media outlets, they'd be like, you should use coupons to save money on groceries. So people would go Google and figure out and then they'd land on my site. And so within a year, we were making a full time income from Money Saving Mom. And in 2014, my husband closed down his law firm, came home full time. And that's what we do. So. So you guys work together. Yes, we do. It's really, really fun. And we have a small team of people who help us as well. And, um, you know, it's just one of those things that we never dreamed that those law school years, we thought they were the stepping stone to something very different and ended up being many saving mom, which it's been so, so amazing to just get to help so many families um, be able to cut their budget. And I think for me, my passion is really to help you be able to live on less than you make so that you can get into a better financial position. So you have less stress in your home, but then also so that you can give generously because that's really something that's a big heartbeat of ours. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think your story is one of just like, you know, I want to say like obedience and like when you are where God wants you to be, you know, you thought law school was going to be this big open door and I'm sure it was for a while. And then looking back and here you guys are now, that's really cool. What an adventure. Yes. It's always an adventure. You never know yeah. where God's going to lead and just different things throughout the years. Like I never thought I would write books or have a podcast <laughs> or be on social media. I was like awesome. scared to death of live video and doing anything that oh, involves yeah. not being behind a computer screen where I could edit. And now one of my big things that I do is live video and Instagram stories. So Awesome. <laughs> that's, that's so cool. That's so cool. All right. So you have a new book coming out, which is very exciting. Um, Love Centered Parenting comes out in March, correct? Yes. Okay. All right. So I want to talk to you a little bit more about that. First of all, let me go back. Did you say you were from a family of nine? Yes. There, so there are seven kids. They are 20. There's 20 year age range and I'm second of seven. So I have a brother who is still in college. And I'm almost 40. So wow, 20 years. God, God bless the whole family. Okay, that's cool. That's fun. I like big families. So um, all right. So back to your book. All right. So you have some enormous wealth of knowledge in this book. And you know, like you said, you've been married for a long time. Your kids are a little bit older. And so I want you to share with my listeners a little bit about um, the book. And so I thought we could start with you telling us, you know, you open the book with a story. Um you know, that kind of threw you for a loop and it sort of catapulted you into this idea of relearning parenting. Tell us about that. Yes. So first off, I never, ever, ever expected I would be writing a parenting book, or I don't really think it's your normal parenting book because it's not prescriptive, but it does have parenting in the title. So I always, for years when people would ask me, because for some reason, when you say things on the internet, people think you somehow have like no things. Um, <laughs> so they would ask me about, you know, can you give me some parenting advice? I'd be like, maybe ask me in 25 years from now, yeah, there you maybe go. I'll have something for you. But <laughs> about four years ago, found myself in a situation that I'd never, ever expected. Um, we were, our kids were going to this um, little private Christian school. And one day at school drop-off, um, the principal stopped my husband and he said, I need to meet with you and one of your kids and your wife after school. And that's never a good sign. No, probably not. <laughs> we were racking our brain going, what, like what happened? We couldn't come up with anything. Um, so we just had that pit 
in our stomach mm-hmm. of like something bad is about to go down. And we got into his office and found out that our child had done something really significant the day before that had broken the school's code of conduct. But it wasn't just that, it was also that there was kind of this pattern of behavior that we had not known about that had been happening. And a lot of parents were um, concerned or upset about what had been going down. And so we were just really blindsided by all of it. And um, it ended up that our child just kind of really spiraled out from that, um, ended up being asked to leave the school and um, then became very, very depressed and anxious. It turned into um, kind of suicidal language and was just a really, really hard time for us as parents because we felt so helpless because here our child who we love so much and would, you know, lay down our life for, we cannot figure out anything, how to help them. And it just feels like what do you do? And so we were calling counselors to try to get in with a counselor. And a lot of them, they were either full or they would say, you know, I'm sorry, we don't take a situation that severe just because of a lot of the things that have been going down. And so finally, then we called one and they said, you know, you need to go straight to the ER because this is a really um, significant situation. And your child is, uh, you know, saying things that are very suicidal. So we land in the ER, you know, and it's just, I start the book with talking about, you know, just walking into the ER and saying, my child's suicidal. And it's that thing as a parent that kind of like your worst nightmare that you could ever come up with. Um, But it was in that space of where I felt like kind of everything was stripped away from me, my reputation, all my parenting ideas, deals, all of that. They God met me in that in that place and said, I'm with you. I haven't forgotten you and I'm going to walk with you and I love you. And so just really set me on this journey of kind of going back to square one, because clearly what I was doing as a parent, it wasn't working and just crying out to the Lord saying, please help me. What do I need to change? What needs to change? Because this isn't working and I want to do this differently and help my child. Yeah. I can only imagine that something like that really just woof, sends you into a tailspin, you know, thank God that counselor, you know, sort of pointed you in that direction. Um, in, in hindsight, so you said that you guys were sort of blindsided by this thing that was happening. In hindsight, now that you know what you know, were there signs um, that your child was struggling that you guys can see or, or, you know, you have a better idea of what to expect at this point? Yes, um, absolutely. And I think that, it's, it's easy as parents, you kind of get stuck in a rut with your parenting. Like, you know, seems like everything's going okay. You know, there's little bumps in the road or something, but we didn't realize that, especially with this particular child, because of the, we ended up finding out the mental health issues that were at play and stuff, that there were a lot of triggers and warning signs that we hadn't seen because we didn't know. And so I think, um, going to lots of counseling, lots of therapy, and really working with different doctors and things like that. It's very, it's helped us so that now we're much more aware of what's going on. And the interesting thing is it's given our whole family a lot more empathy for other families and other situations, because we can kind of recognize some of those more, um, quickly and have just a lot more compassion. And I think, whereas usually before I probably would have been critical and judgmental towards parents and situations. And now I can be a lot more compassionate. It's really humbling when things happen in your family like that, that are unexpected, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yes. And I, and I feel like it's, it's, I mean, even though it's so hard and I, you know, 
but I look back and I'm thinking, I'm so grateful that it happened when it did and how it did, because I just think of there was still, it wasn't like our child was 35 and it had been going on, you know? So it's like, we were able to get help that has made a huge difference um, while our child was still in a place that could be helped. And so I'm so grateful for that. Yeah, that's a great point. That's a great point. So um, what are some things parents can do when, um, you know, when they find out that their child is a bully or something along those lines? One of the big things for me is it just really started with my own heart. And I think a lot of times we want to try to fix these situations. So we see something's wrong and we jump into fixer mode. That's, that's totally me. Yes. I'm a fixer and I want to solve the problem and, you know, let's tie this up with a bow and move on. <laughs> and when we were um, beginning with the, one of the therapists and we had our initial meeting before we met before the s- session started with our child And she was sitting across the couch from me and I just looked her in the eye and I said, if there's anything that I can do, anything that I can change, please let me know because I just want to help my child. A few weeks later, she called me back in after she dismissed my child. And she said, you know, you were asking if there's anything you can do. And I really feel like you're trying so hard to fix your child. What would it look like to just walk with them and love them well? And at first I was like, really? But I started paying attention over the next few weeks. And I realized that as soon as something would go down in our home, whether it was someone had done something, you know, they they were lashing out or they were upset or they had done something that we'd asked them not to do. I would immediately jump into fixer mode and I'm correcting and I'm just going in there and I'm saying, you know, you need to stop doing that. That is not okay. This is not how we act in our home. We need, yes. you know, we need to change this. You need to behave better and just correct, 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 correct. And I was spending a lot of my time engaging with my kids, but it was in a correctionary way and instead of connecting with them. And so I really started paying attention to how much time am I spending correcting and how much time am I spending connecting? Yeah. And then I really asked myself, why do I feel like I need to do this? Like, where is that coming from? That need to feel like I need to jump in and fix. And a lot of it I realized was because I was parenting for my own reputation. And it was like, I needed to do damage control. And so if my child's doing something wrong, I think I need to fix this because I don't want them to, you know, this to continue on because that's going to make me look really bad as a parent. And even though I couldn't have, like, I wouldn't have come out and said that really at its core. That's what it was. I cared so much about what other people thought. And I was parenting for my reputation instead of parenting for relationship with my child. And then I started digging into that. Like, where is that even coming from? Why do, why am I so worried about what other people think? And I realized as a Christian that it really had to do with my relationship with the Lord and that I was so concern about needing to kind of do the right thing. And I felt like I needed to live up to the standard that I created that I thought would kind of earn approval and love from him. And so I was always trying and working so hard and striving to be more, do more, be better, make sure that I'm a good mom and have good kids because I wanted to make sure that I was being a good Christian. And I was putting so much pressure on myself instead of just resting in his love for me and living out of that love. And so 
I started paying attention to the narrative that what I was saying about myself to others, what I was allowing to just be mulling around in my head. And so often it was, you know, you're failing, you're not doing enough. You should have done that. You should have changed that. You should have done that differently. You're a disappointment to other people. You know, you could do better. And just all this negative narrative. And I started realizing so much of that was rooted in these lies that I believed that I wasn't enough and that I was a disappointment. And so I started calling those lies and actually saying it out loud when I recognized that I was, you know, thinking that which was a lot of the time I'd say, that's a lie. And then I challenged myself to say, I'm going to replace those lies with truth. And so I, I wrote out verses and truth that I got from scripture of what, you know, what does God's word actually say? What does God actually think of me? And then, so calling it a lie and then replacing it with truth and continue to do that. It was not an overnight thing. It took me months and months and months, but it was the process of rewiring my brain and rewiring my reactions so that I could actually start to believe the truth. And when I started to actually believe that truth and let it sink in, then I was able to start to live out of that truth in all facets of my life. And it really changed everything for me. Wow. That's so powerful. There's, there's so much I want to unpack right there. <laughs> um, the first one is, do you think do you think new moms are too hard on themselves? I mean, and like, how can we start to change that narrative? Like, I know the answer is yes, but how can we start to change that narrative? I think a lot of it comes from that parenting for reputation. And, and it's really yes. hard to be a new mom. Um, I remember back to when I was a new mom and you feel like you're, you feel like, I don't know what I'm doing. And if anyone questions anything or even just ask you, yeah. you know, a basic question, you, it's so easy to go to, oh, well, maybe I'm not doing it right. Maybe I should do it differently. And, and I feel like that when you have more than one child, it becomes easier for you to be a little bit more confident because you have kept a child alive. So then you're like, okay, but I do think that it is, we do worry about our reputation. And I think a lot of times then some of it can be in our identity of, you know, we want to be a good mom. And that comes from this space of like, we love our kids and we, we want to love them well. But if we care more about how it looks mm -hmm. and we care more about what other people think, then our motivation is completely wrong. And so I think when I got to that place of really being able to rest in God's love for me, one thing that was super helpful for me, I was listening to this podcast. It was the Trim Healthy Mom podcast, and they had um, a guest on there, and she asked this question. She was talking about kind of changing her narrative and how she had such a ne negative narrative, and she said, what would loved me do? How would loved me live? And she said she started asking herself that when she went into any situation. If I truly believed that I was loved, how would loved me live? And, you know, just in like thinking of a new mom, if you believe that you're truly loved by the God of the universe and that you can stand confidently in that love, if somebody is questioning your decisions as a parent, you don't feel like you have to defend yourself so much. You don't have to take it personally That's right. because it's like, you can just sit, sit down your defenses and just lay them down and be like, you know what? Thank you so much. I'm making a 
different choice different and you know choice. i really appreciate i can learn from you and you can you can receive stuff from other people but you don't have to feel like that's i have to change what i'm doing you can just kind of sift through it instead of taking it as a personal attack and i feel like so when you're you know that you're loved and you believe that you're loved it really changes your ability to interact with other people yeah oh my gosh i totally believe that and the reputation piece of it it's I feel like it's per per pervasive. It's all around us. There's always people who seem like they have it all together, who seem like they have perf perfect kids, who seem like their families just like play games and laugh and everybody goes to bed exactly when you tell them to go to bed. And so I think part of that reputation is trying to keep up with something that's not real. And I feel like social media, you know, you do a good job um, on your page, just kind of giving all sides of, of the family life story and some of the other things. Um, but I feel like social media can be a really slippery slope for people. Yeah, I feel like I always tell people, you know, you see that one little square in someone's Instagram feed and you make up this huge story huge. from that one little square and you have no idea what else is going on there. And I'm like, you could come up with one little square in your life too that would look just as good. Trust me, you know, and so let's stop making up stories. Someone the other day, they wrote and they messaged me. They said, I just realized that there's probably a lot of stuff that you don't talk about on social media. And I'm thinking, yeah, you just realized that? Like, you know, I'm like, there's a lot that I wish I could share, but it involves my kids. And, you know, I can, there's a lot that I don't share because I want to protect them and their stories and their future and all that. But, you know, there's, there's one of the reasons why I started this book with talking about walking into that emergency room and saying, you know, my child's suicidal is because I really wanted to lower the stage. I think when you hear that, you know, someone has written a parenting book, you, you have these, you know, immediately you think, oh, they're going to, you know, they kind of know what they're doing. And I want people to know that I'm just right there in the trenches with you and I'm learning with you. And this is not because, wow, I've figured this out and I have these really great kids, but it's that I have found freedom in parenting, not because my kids are amazing, although I really love them a lot, but <laughs> because of how much I'm loved by God. And that changes everything. And I'm able to parent out of that. And I think it also helps that I don't have to compare myself to other moms. Yeah. I can, I can really be excited and appreciate moms who are very different than me. I am just very simple and we keep things very simple and we make very simple meals. And, you know, I just, I'm more of on the minimalist side and that's just that's just what works for us. And I know so many people, they probably, if they met me in real life, they'd be so disappointed because <laughs> it's like, you're, Oh, you're, you're actually just a regular mom. And I'm like, yes, I am. And you know, we Proudly. have and uh, you know, all the things, but for me, that's one reason why I show up almost every morning on Instagram with my pajamas on and no makeup on and my hair not fixed, because I just think I want people to know that this is real life. And yeah we, none of us have it all together. And some people are more organized and they're more gifted in certain areas. But one of the things that we, when we were going through, um, our foster care licensing process, we were, um, the home study worker, she asked us, she said, you know, what are your family's core values? And I thought that that was such a great question. And I yes. talk about this in the book because I think 
it's good to kind of know what are those things that they're your core values. And, you know, we all said different things, but one of the things that we said was never boring. And, you know, we just, we, we aren't boring because there's always something interesting happening in our house. And for some families, you would just freak out living in our home because we don't have these perfectly set routines and schedules and bedtimes and all of that. But we also are more able to be like, hey, okay, you want to come over? I mean, yesterday it was like, since we're snowed in, there were multiple neighbors. There was a neighbor girl who rang our doorbell six times and she was very anxious to get into our house apparently. And we opened up the door. I'd never seen her before. I didn't know who oh, she was. that's so funny. And, um, and she just, she said, um, I just was walking by your house and I was cold. So I thought I could, you know, could I come in? And, you know, I'm just like, okay, come in, you know, and there were more, and I just kept like going through the house. I'm like, oh, you're here. Okay. I didn't know you, you know, and some people couldn't operate like that, but I I think just knowing what are your core values and being able to lean into those and to celebrate that and to be like, we're never going to be the poster family for having um, a great spreadsheet of your chore charts and your schedule, but we are great for fostering and for flinging our doors open for having people at the last minute and that sort of thing. And so just knowing what your core values are um, can really help you so you can celebrate that and also celebrate the other people who are really great with spreadsheets and chore charts. I can celebrate that too, but I don't have to feel like I have to be you. That's right. The world needs the world needs both. <laughs> we yes. need the spreadsheet people and the people who let the spreadsheet new- people can help keep me in line. That's why I hired the spreadsheet people yeah. because I'm like, woo, adventure, yeah. <laughs> I can totally relate to that. We're kind of into the chaos over here as well. Uh, I had to bring my husband along, but I think he's he's welcomed me on the dark side of uh, of chaos and adventure over here. So I can totally empathize with that. That's fun. So tell us a little bit about this idea of love-centered parenting. And, um, you know, you had this experience, you're sort of reevaluating some of the, the, the way you've handled things as a parent. Tell us kind of what is at the center of this love-centered parenting. Well, I think one of the things for me was recognizing what my job wasn't as a parent. And I mm. think that not only was it going back to the foundational root of recognizing that I'm loved and really living out of that love. That was, I feel like the first step for me, but then it was to take it a step further. And I think we oftentimes can get really um, distracted in our parenting and, and what our job actually is. And a lot of times we can completely miss the mark. And when I was actually writing this book, I ask on Instagram, I'm the money saving mom on Instagram. And I ask on there for my followers, I said, fill in the blank. My job as a parent is to blank. And I got hundreds and hundreds of responses. And I would say that 98 to 99% of them were things that you ultimately have no control over as a parent. And so things like, I want my child to love Jesus and go to heaven and make good choices. And that's my job as a parent um, is to make sure that my child loves Jesus and goes to heaven and makes good choices. And I'm like, you know what? That's a great ambition, but you ultimately don't have control over that. And you cannot save your child. Or I want my child to grow up to be successful in the world and to be a person of character. Again, great ambition, but you cannot control your child's choices or success. And so if we define our job as a parent by those types of definitions, we're constantly going to be reevaluating our job performance in light of 
our child's choices. And so then when they aren't making good choices, it is a reflection on our job performance. And so we're probably going to be stressed. We're going to get frustrated with them because it's our job on the line. And we also are probably going to be a lot more critical of them. And we're probably going to be critical of others too, because we think if their kids are making bad choices, they're failing in their job. That mom's terrible. Her kid did X, Y, Z. Yeah, exactly. Right. And so to really go back to the drawing board, what is our job as a parent? And so in Love Center Parenting, I talk about four choices that I really challenge every parent to make. And um, and that is to lean in and love, to listen well, to lead with humility, and to let go. And I feel like that just really encapsulates what we actually have control over. We can choose to lean in and love. We can choose to listen well. We can choose to lead with humility and we can choose to let go. And those are not dependent upon our child's choices or behaviors. Yeah. Like, and so the subtitle of the book is the no fail guide to launching your kids. And a lot of people have been like, hold up. How are you able to actually, you know, give that sort of promise? But it's because you can't fail if you're faithful to just love your kids because failure is n- not about your kids' choices. It's about your faithfulness. And so really focusing on what can I do? What choices can I make? And so that's the rest of the book is really just unpacking each of those and what it looks like to lean in and love, what it looks like to listen well, what it looks like to um, lead with humility and what it looks like to let go. And those are the things that have really become the pillars of my parenting and have helped me to then build a parent from this place of peace and rest and joy instead of stress and frustration and burden. Yes. Um, sorry, I'm just writing that down. So give me give me an example of leading by humility. What would be an example? Maybe something I talked about in the book. Absolutely. So I think a lot of times as parents, we feel like we need to kind of hold up the standard for our kids that is really unattainable. And we don't want to show them that we struggle. Yeah. But I think one of the greatest examples that we can show for our kids is that we need Jesus, that we're not perfect. And that's why Jesus came. And so we're looking to him. And so leading with humility is acknowledging that need for him in front of our kids. So for me, sometimes if I'm just having a hard day to tell my kids, you know, to say, I'm, I'm really struggling today. Maybe it's that I'm frustrated about something or I'm sad about something. And just to talk with them openly about just really having to look to the Lord and trust him in this. Or, you know, sometimes it's that I'm really honest with my kids and I'll be like, I'm just feeling frustrated by some things right now. And I need some quiet or I just, I'm sorry. You know, and I think one of the other things with leading with humility is asking forgiveness often yes. and just setting up that is part of our life that we're going to make mistakes and mistakes allow us to be able to go and apologize and own where we failed and be able to then ask forgiveness and to model that for our kids, I think is a really beautiful gift because then they get to see that we are modeling that humble heart of owning where we have gone wrong, where we have made a mistake. And then also getting to point them to Jesus and talking to them about how, you know, 
I, yesterday when I got frustrated with you, I was not responding out of love and I'm really working on wanting to love you well with the love that God has given me. And, you know, will you please forgive me for that? And, you know, pray for me because I, I want to love you better. And some days I really struggle with just living out of kindness and something that I'm working on. And so just being, having that humble heart before our kids, I think is going to speak so much more than any sermon that we could ever give them. And, um, any really, you know, if we set them down and we have this conversation with them, they're not going to remember that as much as they're going to remember us coming back and asking forgiveness. That's right. That's right. And, you know, the whole idea of leading with humility is this idea of modeling, really. And I think modeling is something that we're doing, whether we're intentional about it or not. And I think the sooner or or, or the, the better we can grasp, like the magnitude of like kids are watching what you do more so or as much as what you say and it's so powerful and um i think that's really interesting about all the women um responding to you and ultimately all these things that are out of your control their control well and i thought no wonder so many women are feeling so stressed yes because you're carrying around this heavy weight of responsibility that was never yours to bear. And it's for the rest of your life then, because anytime a child makes any mistake or any choice that you don't agree with, even when they're adults, you're going to feel like, oh no, you know, I got to try to come in and fix this again because they're they're you know, it's, it's a reflection on me. And so you can just lay that down and say, okay, what does it look like to just receive God's love and let his love flow through you to your kids and focus on today this moment. And so often also, I feel like we parent out of fear instead of faith because we're playing out worst case scenario. I, I share a story in the book about how I was cleaning up the kitchen one day and I um, just, there was this pile and I picked up this note on top of the pile that one of my kids had written to someone else. And there was this word in this note that we don't say at our home. It's a craft word. And immediately when I read that word, I just started freaking out in my head of like, oh my goodness, are they leading a double life? You know, do they say this kind of word at, you know, at school and in front of other people and they're just pretending at home, you know, and I'm, I just go to this place of worst case scenario and fear. And then I just remind myself, no, no, no. Like that's like, let's stay right here, stay in the space. And how do I lean in and love my kids well? And so in this particular case, I called my child down and I said, Hey, I, I found this note. And that was a really nice note that you've written, but I noticed this word in here. And they looked at me and they were like, what mom and I was like this this word you do you use this often and they're like what's wrong with it and and I realized they didn't even know that it was a word they shouldn't use you know now we did have a conversation about yeah, don't that's good. you don't know what they mean but they weren't it was they weren't trying to do something unkind you know and so I just thought like if I had jumped on them and, you know, I cannot believe that you would use this kind of language that is horrible, that is terrible. We do not use this word and just jump to that space, how it would have really shamed them and shut them down. And instead it opened up the door for us to have this conversation. So leading with love, leaning in and loving and thinking of their heart first and really seeking the Lord. I think a lot of times it's praying a lot of flare prayers. I talk about that in the book about, you know, you don't have time a lot of times when you're dealing with a situation to get on your knees and pray for 30 minutes, but you can shoot up a flare prayer and say, God, in this moment right now, I need your help because I need to go address this. And I want to have a posture of leaning in and loving and listening well. And what does that look like for this moment? Please help me go before me. And 
just taking that moment to quiet ourselves before we step into a situation and to really reframe how we're going to approach the situation. It's like it completely deescalates everything because then it's not about us fixing it. It's about us walking with our child and really hearing their heart. And it can turn into beautiful discussions. Not always, sometimes it doesn't <laughs> work like weeks. And that's where the letting go comes in. Cause sometimes you have to be like, okay, God, I lead in love. I listen well, right. <laughs> led with humility and I'm going to let go, you know? And then right. sometimes it'll be a few days later, a few weeks later, they'll They'll, something will come up and it'll be like they remembered and they were listening right. in that conversation and they actually did pick up some things. It just didn't seem like it at the time. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I think that all circles back to like your, you know, um, the loved me, how would love me respond and having confidence in who you are in God and having confidence as a mom and just showing up without jumping to conclusions. It can be really powerful. This is, this has been so great, Crystal. I want to be cognizant of our time here. Um, so I have two questions that I ask all my guests at the end of the interview. And the first one is what is your current, your current favorite family activity? Well, we have been, since we are snowed in there you go. <laughs> right now, although my family just got out. Um, so a couple things that we love to do, we love to play games okay. together and we have been playing. So we have two that we really love, um, phase 10 and Dutch Blitz, and there then sometimes go. we throw in Tenzies. So those are those are ones that we love. And then also we really, since our kids are a little bit older, we like to watch shows together sometimes too. And that's wow. it's really fun when they get old enough to be able yes. to enjoy shows together with you. Yeah. And then lastly, where can people get their hands on this book? Where can they find you on Instagram? And where can they get all this fabulous parenting knowledge that you that you have for everybody? I'm not sure about the fabulous parenting knowledge because I'm right in the trenches. <laughs> I didn't. Hey, you've gotten it this far. I'm sure that there is. They're still alive. Yeah, and, they, and, and the great thing is, is that we, we just sat down and did a podcast with our oldest daughter. She's 16 um, last night. And just how even, you know, they're not, we're by no means perfect. And we're still learning so much, but that we have relationship with them and that they want to have conversations and communication with us. And I think that's, what's most important. But, um, so my book is available wherever books are sold, christianbook.com, um, amazon.com, obviously bookshop.org, local bookstores. And my website is moneysavingmom.com. If you want to learn how to save money, my podcast is crystal paint, the crystal pain show. And I am the money saving mom on Instagram. So if you're going to follow me one place, I would say to follow there because that's my favorite place to hang out. So so good. Thank you so much for being here, Crystal. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening in today. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to rate and review us wherever you're listening to this podcast. Be sure to share with us on Instagram what you liked most about the episode by tagging me at Susanna.McMonagle. And lastly, if you want more information about the 5 to 8 shift, you can check out our website, the5to8shift.com. We'll see you guys next time.